We have an interesting passage today because we talk about Jesus being the light of the world, and we hear also in that people being in darkness. We're going to hear about darkness, and we're going to hear about light, and here's one of the harder things for, for us to recognize is just how, uh, how accustomed the world is to darkness and how in need we are of light. Maybe you have seen this before, this fish before. Maybe you haven't. Have you seen a sea devil? If you haven't, it should be behind me. It's, a, it's one of the uglier fish I've ever seen. One of the uglier fish I've ever seen. But there are many creatures that exist in darkness. And many creatures that exist in darkness have, you can tell. You look at them and go, you haven't seen a mirror, have you? Yeah, you don't even know what you look like. You don't even know how, how it is. And we can look at that and go, that's hideous, right? Like, I don't even want to know what that is, right? Fish that exist, sea creatures that exist down at the very bottom of the ocean that don't even know what the sun is, that live down there. You can just, it's quite an exchange. Maybe you can, when you're done, you know, here today, and maybe not on your phone right now, but I'd understand if you'd want to, if you just start looking at creatures that exist in total darkness, there's a reason. And the reason, we can get off of that because it's going to be real distracting, Nick, thank you. Uh, the reason, in part, is that very often we don't even know what we've grown accustomed to, right? Like that, that, that we actually, our, our lives exist in the sphere in which they operate, and we don't even realize, speaking humanly, just how, how crooked we really are, how in need we really are, how dark our hearts actually are. And it's an uncomfortable reality because, because if you're like me, you probably, even if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you probably go, I'm generally okay. I'm generally okay. And I think that's true in the sense that we're only judging in human standards. I'm generally okay. I've never done this. I've never done that. Right? We're all just comparing, like it's just ugly fish comparing themselves to ugly fish, talking about how the other ones are more ugly. But we don't realize that the actual problem is the situation in which we live. And so it's just darkened hearts talking about how less dark they are than other darkened hearts based upon the things that those darkened hearts have agreed are really bad and the other ones that have agreed these are kind of okay. And so we go, I'm generally good. That would be the same testimony I would have given you about how the Lord brought me from darkness into light is, I was all right. I was an all right kid. I think anybody here would have, you know, if I were back into my, you know, high school, middle school, high school years, anybody probably would have liked to have had me as their son, I think. Now, that might change now. John's looking at me going, I don't want you in my family, Hans. Uh, but, but back then, when I was, you know, younger and better, they would have taken that. But it took hearing the truth of Jesus, to realize that I wasn't who I thought I was. 
and the illustration that you see throughout Scripture, <clears throat> the illustration that becomes abundantly clear in the New Testament, and the illustration that is used throughout time to illustrate that is darkness and light. Darkness and light. And one of the most difficult things for us to admit, because it takes light exposing us, is just how dark we really were or really are. But Jesus is the light of the world. And he gives a promise to people that those who believe change. Those who believe change, and they are not those they were. They are something new. They have the light of life. And that's our passage today. Remember, John 7 and John 8, we, 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 I, as we just discussed last week, last week's passage seems like an insertion into what actually has been going on. We're still in the Feast of Tabernacles. And Jesus is still teaching. And we're, you know, we, we finished the actual ceremony, but imagine the the temple area with lamps all around it, right? torches there. And they would have ceremonies of lights and the recognition of light. And there's Jesus in the same way that he talked about how he's living water and that if you believe in him, out of us will flow living water. That would be the spirit and will never thirst. That Jesus is that person who quenches the thirst And the Spirit gives us that well that is unending. And then he changes from this thirst and water image to darkness and light. And his testimony, the statement he makes, is right there in verse 12. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. Darkness and light. Well, if we remember back into December, which is hard for us to do sermon-wise, but if we go back into December, we will see in the first five verses this theme already. Remember, this is some of our memory work, but in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And this life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. That darkness is both a a sphere and a person. The sphere is the realm of the world. We'll see more about that next week when Jesus goes, I'm from above, you're from below. It's both the world that exists in opposition to God. That in every culture, there is no Christian culture. Jesus, there's parts of Jesus' character that might be reflected in any culture, and there's parts that he would oppose He shines light into both that sphere, that realm of this world that does not operate in light of him, but also into those hearts that need him. 
John 1.9 calls him the true light. It reads, the true light, which gives light to everyone who's coming into the world. John continues to speak about how those who came into the world didn't, didn't, or he came into the world, they didn't believe him. They didn't see him. They didn't recognize him for who he was. So what is, what is true light? It's an interesting phrase. The true light has come into the world. Well, I think first, it's helpful just to remember that light does something, other than make it easier to see, is that light exposes. It makes things evident. It shows us what is real. Now, what's hard about that is, have you ever been in a dark room? I don't just mean like dark waiting for your eyes to adjust. I mean dark as in you can't see a thing. Rooms that are so dark that you can hear it. Where it's just like the blood pumping through your head is all like that. You just hear this noise. And you don't even want to move because you're not sure what you're going to step on or who you might step on. And you just need light. I would assume that in the morning, one of the first things that you would do is somewhere somebody turns on a light. You turn on a light. You probably, like most humans, stare at their phone. You're like, oh, so bright. Right? Doesn't matter how dim it is. Like, it's so bright. But you wake up and you don't go, you know what I want to do? I want to operate in darkness all day. Let's keep the the shutters closed. Shutters like we have them. The blinds. Close all the doors. Keep all the lights off. We're going to operate like that all week. Most of our jobs even, like, even exist during the day, but those that don't need light in order to see what's going on. So in general, we understand light. I mean, that's pretty elementary. But what is true light? What is true light? Well, true light would be that light which exposes the way things totally are. Would expose those things that are true, ways that are true. And so we might think in this sphere, the light comes on, I won't trip over a chair. But Jesus doesn't just expose this visible reality, he exposes the system of disbelief that even exists in this world. And he exposes the sin that is even in our own hearts, showing us what is true. Showing us who we actually are. If Jesus is true light, that means something about us that is uncomfortable. And that uncomfortable truth is we are in darkness without him. John 3.19, Jesus says, this is the judgment. Light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light Because their works were evil. People loved darkness more than light because their works were evil. I think a big problem here, though, for those of us who like to claim knowledge, is that we don't even realize how acclimated we are to darkness. We don't realize how comfortable it is to exist in darkness. 
We don't realize that many ways we live and operate are so that we do not get exposed for the kind of husband we are, the kind of friend we are, the kind of employer or employee that we might be is that we operate in such a way to buffer ourselves from exposure. Why? Because that, in that sense, we love the darkness more than the light. Why? Because we know our works. We can use all kinds of light illustrations. It's not uncommon. Light can disinfect. Light can do this. Light can do that. But in John 3.19, we have this idea. And I remember Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. We are in darkness. But in an illustration that we might get, is it kind of means that we're more like cockroaches, we said before, that when light shows up, we hide from it. Because we exist in a certain sphere. But, look at the second half of verse 12. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's the offer. Is that light came into the world... We love darkness, but all who follow recognize that about themselves, trust in the work of Jesus for their forgiveness, and they have his light. He is the one who illuminates how we live. Now, how would he do that today? Because here's what would, here's what would happen if we're not careful. We just kind of go, okay, I'll follow Jesus, and then all of a sudden, everything's going to just start making more sense, Right? I'll just start living better. But again, if you're left to your own devices and the own ways that you view life, and if you think, well, I can be a good friend because now I know Jesus, and I can be a good spouse because now I know Jesus, and I can be a good church member because now I know Jesus, right? If there's no anchor point, then we still are left just deciding how we're doing. That's why the scriptures are so important for us as a people. Because how do we know? How do we know? If we are, we say prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, if there is an inclination of the flesh in us to self-protect, to self-preserve, to live for ourselves, to hide our sin, if that is an inclination in us, then what do we need but God's light to show us and we can walk in light as Christians, walking openly, seeing his word. And it's still, it doesn't matter how long, how many years, decades, half centuries you have walked with Jesus. His word still exposes, doesn't it? It still shows that there are things in us that are imperfect. There are things in us that need his grace, which he freely and gladly gives. There are still sins that need to be confessed. It doesn't change who we are, but his word continues to expose. 
We hear this a lot. I've mentioned this a lot. When people are reading, it might be even in our reading plan, and you go through it, and you go, I've never read that verse before. Like, it's always been there. Never heard it like that. It makes more sense. Or maybe you're reading something in the Old Testament, and then the New Testament passage, it's not like we planned it this way, actually, like, it bridges together, and you see a connection that you hadn't seen before. I've never seen that connection. I'm like, I know. Because you can't plumb the depths of Scripture and then kind of go, hey, I've got it all, man. There is nothing else. God always has more light to give than we can take. But it doesn't mean we stop. It doesn't mean we run. It doesn't mean we hide. So those who follow him are not in darkness because they don't love darkness. But they have the light of life because in him is life and this life was the light of men. We heard that in John chapter 1. So we have the light of life, which is him. We have him. So of course, because Jesus is speaking in one way, and every time we have been at this for weeks now, we'll see it again and again, people respond to Jesus just at word level because they're still darkened. And John wants us to see how a darkened heart responds to the testimony of Jesus without the illumination of his spirit. And so the Pharisees said to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. That's verse 13. Your testimony can't be true. So what are they doing? They're going to the letter of the law. Jesus had said something about himself. And they go to Deuteronomy, for example, 1915, and we read, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with an offense that he has committed. Only with the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. <clears throat> now that was a way for the Israelite community not to just throw around accusations. And so what do, they, what do the religious leaders do? They pull the law back as if Jesus is a criminal, and they're going, he testifies against himself. How should we believe what he has to say? It is like when we talk about how God isn't true because we've had bad experiences with other Christians. It doesn't change God's character. But we just kind of look for some clause to go, how can I believe this thing when Hans is such an idiot? I'm like, believe me, I understand your concern. But you look for some kind of way to discredit Jesus. So what do they do? They find, they find a law that doesn't even really apply to the situation, and they say, how can we believe this man? <clears throat> He's testifying about himself. He cannot be believed. I get it. It's like, a, it's like a human just saying, hey, just believe me when there's no other evidence or there's no other reason. Kids probably remember this in the room or they're, they're, they're promising to their parents that what has happened is what has happened. And even if you're right, do the parents even pay any mind to you? No, yeah, Jade knows. Yeah, no. Doesn't matter how, how vehemently I tell you what I saw, you still don't believe me. My kids get really mad at me if I don't believe them. Because we do have, yeah, Ethan's looking over at me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
they get really mad because we do have rules in our house. One of our rules is we don't lie. Because once we lie, what starts to happen? Now, I don't know if you can believe what I say or I can believe what you say. So we have to be able to rely on one another being trustworthy in order for our family to operate the right way. And so it's, I, because of that rule, my kids do get angry with me when I challenge something that they have testified about. They go, this is your rule, Dad. This is your rule, and you don't believe me? I'm so mad that you don't believe me. Well, we understand it as humans, and the principle regarding human interactions makes sense. However, when it comes from the Lord... That type of accusation or expectation doesn't get us where we need to go because in a sense, what are the religious leaders doing but they are establishing their expectations on God. They are the authority on the Son. We can't believe you because you're testifying about yourselves. They're treating Jesus like he's any other man. Not like the man he has already been revealed as being. Not the one who has been testified to by John the Baptist, by the voice of the Father, by his own works, by the scriptures themselves. He has been testified about time and time and time and time again. And they're trying to get him on a clause that he says right here in John 8. How he can't be believed. Yet the whole gospel of John is about witnesses. And testimony. So their challenge comes from a place of darkness. We can't believe you. We can't believe you because you're just saying things. And how do we know they're true? So Jesus gives them several arguments. Several arguments as to why his testimony and his father's are enough. I've categorized these in a certain way. I'm sure there are other ways that you could categorize these arguments, but let's just look at some of these responses that Jesus gives as to why he should be believed. I call this one an argument from origin, the first one. This starts in verse 14. An argument from origin. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I came from or where I am going. So that's origin. You, you don't know where I came from. You don't know where I'm going. So, so you can't, what do you expect? Now, put this against John 5.31, which reads, If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. Jesus says that. And then he says, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. Right? Is that like a gotcha moment? No. It's not a gotcha moment because Jesus is about to explain. First, you didn't come from where I came from. So you're not going to get another human to come corroborate heaven and the eternality of the Godhead. No one else is going to come along and be able to demonstrate what I'm telling you. And it's like someone coming from another land and telling you what it's like. And you're going, I don't believe you because I haven't seen it. Jesus is going, you can't see it because you've never been there. You can't see it. 
So he gives the argument of origin, but he's not alone in bearing witness. He's not alone in bearing witness because he's already said in chapter 5, he's going to say again in chapter 8, that his father is in agreement. But the leaders haven't seen it. So his point is like, even if I did, it would be true, but it's not the only thing I'm using. It's almost what he's saying there. Even if I did, it'd be true because God's not a liar. But even with that in mind, he gives more testimony. And John has given us more testimony. But here's what's great. I want to speak to to skeptics for a moment, which all of us can be, but some of us currently are. Now, I want to speak to skeptics for a moment in the same way I said it last week, is is that sometimes... We have these maybe doubts or concerns or even confusions about God or about the scriptures or about what Jesus has done. What if questions or what about questions. And you are free to investigate every claim Jesus made. To look at it. To look at scripture to see what has been said, not just in the Gospel of John, but in Matthew and in Mark and in Luke and in Ezekiel and in Exodus and in Ruth and in Psalms and in Genesis and in Jeremiah and in Isaiah. Look! Because Jesus is not the only one standing up and saying things about himself, but they have been spoken throughout history about who the Messiah is and what he would do and how he would save. And so we don't need to take this little interaction in John 8 and go, oh yeah, Jesus is bearing false witness because he's not. All he's doing is taking their argument and saying, even if that were the case, my testimony would be true because I know where I came from. But we have all of Scripture to investigate him, to look at the testimony that has been given and to speak of him. And I would even encourage you, beyond that investigation, to investigate the stories of your fellow friends sitting beside you or behind you or anywhere in the room and hear how the Lord saved them. And how he brought them from darkness to life. And what they learned. And what they learned about themselves. And what they saw about him. And the grace that they have been given. Take the testimony of the word. Take the testimony of his people. And hear all the ways God has worked. And just how mighty he has been to save So they push back in darkness. The religious leadership pushes back in darkness and Jesus responds with light. I know where I came from. And he gives another argument right there, verse 15. I'm going to call this an argument from from quality or of of kind of his his composition. Because he speaks about these two spheres. You judge according to the flesh which means according to human ways, human understanding, human life, you judge according to the flesh, I judge Noah. Now, Jesus talks about how he will judge. 
And so what kind of judgment does he mean there? I think Jesus means in this that I judge no one according to the flesh. I don't judge anybody like that. That's not the way that I approach judgment. Because his judgment is not based upon human understanding. His judgment is not based upon human will. His judgment is not based upon anything that is by sight. But by his divine prerogative and the fact that he has created every person in this room. So he speaks about who he is, where he came from, origin, and who he is. You judge according to the flesh, I don't. And then he speaks again of, of where he was. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge. I and the Father, but I and the Father who sent me. So he's judging in keeping with obedience to his Father in line with the character of God. So even if I were to judge, my judgment is different, qualitatively different than the judgment that man gives. This is why it's a lesson that we always have to learn is that very often we fear man's judgment toward us more than the Lord's. We are more concerned what our friend or enemy might say against us than the Lord because it feels more serious, but I promise you it is not. I would rather be judged a liar by men and a saint by God than reversed. Yet the consequences in an earthly sense feel so dire if human judgment comes against me or comes against you. But the consequences of being found guilty by God are far different. Jesus judges differently because he isn't us in the fallen sense of man, the broken sense of man, the darkened sense of man. He isn't that. He is different. So he argues from his origin and he argues from who he is, his quality, but he also argues from the law. He does. He uses the law to explain. But they won't receive the response because they don't believe he is who he says he is. He doesn't believe the father's, father's testimony, nor will they believe all that has been said about him, nor all that he has done. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me too. So you know how he said earlier, even if I did bear witness about myself, my testimony would be true. Now we already see in verses 17 and 18 that he doesn't only bear witness about himself. So he just takes the hypothetical because of who he is and says this is why it would be true still. And then in verse 17 and 18, your law says one thing, I testify, my father testifies, yet for them that is not sufficient. And you see another response from these leaders, Jewish leaders. And their response is according to the flesh. 
and in the realm of darkness. They hear the words Jesus said and they say this, Where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. And then John lets us know that he was kind of outside of the the closest spot to the temple. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. And that is stunning to me. And I've shared it before, just a few weeks ago, but that if, if there were a place where the religious leadership could lay hands on Jesus because they did not like what he was saying. It would be the temple area. If there was a place where Jesus could be apprehended and no one would question the officers of the court in doing what they did, it would be in the temple area. They're not going to Galilee to try to bring him to Jerusalem. They're there in Jerusalem at the temple. Jesus is speaking, and yet not a person lays a hand on him because God has a greater plan. And that plan is to die for us. And so no one apprehends Jesus. Remember how we just heard two weeks ago that, that the people who were reporting back to the religious leadership, they go, we haven't heard anybody speak like this man. Ever. And the leaders are livid that they did not apprehend him. And they basically say, are you defrauded? Have you been defrauded too? You're just as gullible as the crowds. But what we see in these statements is this is all part of the plan of God for our salvation. And you can see these spirit-inspired words say, he was in the treasury, but no one could touch him. No one could touch him. And so I want to give you this challenge And here it is. We'll highlight it more next week when Jesus talks about dying in sin and dying in sins. But with regard to Jesus, there is a fork in the road. And that fork in the road is this. Will you believe man's testimony about Jesus exclusively? whatever the spirit of the day would say. Or, will you believe Scripture's testimony of Jesus? Christ's testimony of himself, the Father's testimony, is that we really do, everybody in this room has that choice. Do I believe that Jesus is who he said he is? Or do I believe that Jesus is who Somebody angry said he was. Everybody in this room has some view of Jesus based upon something. Everybody. The issue is whose testimony do we believe? There are many 
in the temple courts, though some do believe. We see that next week. They believe in some way, but then he challenges, Jesus challenges them on their disbelief. Who believe what Jesus is saying, but many, and this goes all the way to Jesus' crucifixion, many are persuaded by the testimony of darkened hearts that Jesus is not who he says he was. Many are persuaded. And that challenge is for everybody in this room. Whose testimony is true? A darkened heart telling me who Jesus is or Jesus himself telling me who he is? Whose testimony is true? That decision stands before all of us. We decide and we live accordingly. But, hear me here, there's no reason for us to be playing church games. Not a one. There are many folks who have decided that Jesus is not worth it. And they lived accordingly. He's not worth it, I'm out. And they will receive his judgment. And there are many in this room, and I know you, who recognize that Jesus is worth it. And you gather, and you read, and you pray, and you meet, and you meditate, and you discuss, and you confess, and you repent, and you pray, and you, and you seek to live more and more in the light because Jesus is the light of life. And you realize who you were before him, and you realize the work that he has done in your heart to make you the man or woman that you are even now. Praise God for that. But the last thing in that should exist is the person who's like, it's all right. I mean, it's kind of cool. I mean, if, you know, if it works for you, whatever, I'll show up to church sometimes because it's kind of motivational or whatever else. Like, that's the, that category doesn't exist. I pray that all, all go, you know what? I'm going to hear what Jesus says about himself. I'm going to follow what Jesus says about himself. I'm going to obey what Jesus says about himself. And I encourage you with what I say. You can do the same. You have the same Bible I read. You have the same scripture right before you. You can test and look and examine and pray and seek. But either fallen man's testimony about Jesus is correct, or Jesus' testimony about Jesus is correct. We decide by his grace and live accordingly. I would love to talk to you about the Lord. And I would love to talk to you about your doubts and the things where you just wonder, is, is it really true? Did he really do that? Does he, does he, did he really give himself? Is he really the light of the world? Well, you don't know what I've done. I don't know what you've done. You don't know what I've done. 
You don't know how I've lived. You don't know what I, what I thought. You don't know even what's going on right now. It's okay. His grace is real and sufficient for all who call on his name and walk in light. I think on things like this, we need to consider the source. Consider the source of what is being testified. The testimony of darkened hearts or the testimony of the true light who gives light to all. And a very humbling move is to go, you know what, maybe I don't know everything about Jesus that I thought I did. Maybe I don't understand everything about him that I thought I did. Maybe I'm not as confident in who he is than I thought he was. Let's, let's take a look. Because he's everything every Genesis member could testify about him in this room and more. Everything spoken about him, he is and more. Because we're still following, we're still understanding, we're still growing in our knowledge of the scriptures and our knowledge of even our own sin. He is all those and more and he is the light of the world. And it takes that light to realize that we have been living in darkness, walking in darkness, and we're not even the person we thought we were. Even that is his grace, exposing our need and changing us for his glory.